Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, November 25th, we're studying Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 15. St. Paul concludes his epistle to Titus with a final warning against false teaching and false teachers, as well as an encouragement to all Christians to devote themselves to good works. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us returning guest, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Jackson. Pastor Jackson serves at St. John's Lutheran Church in Algoma, Wisconsin, and St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Forestville, Wisconsin. Pastor Jackson, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks a lot for having me back on, Pastor Apple. So we're talking Titus chapter 3, the end of this epistle. We've got the, the whole epistle in front of us for context. What do we need to know going into this text today? Yeah, so just the broad scheme, first of all, of Titus, which I know you've been going over with your uh, with your listeners over the last few uh, days and weeks. But uh, as we know, Titus was written to Titus, a, a pastor who was associated with St. Paul. And Titus was assigned, uh, given kind of a stretch assignment, actually, I think, uh, to help bring some order onto uh, the island of Crete, uh, the churches there. Um, I've actually been to Crete, Pastor Apple. And uh, so I, I studied in um, Studied in Greece for six months in college, and when we were getting ready to uh, getting ready to go to Crete, I think you'll kind of like this. Uh, our instructor said uh, to us Americans, "They said Crete is like the Texas of Greece." Uh, oh no! <laughs> yeah, they so he said they love guns on on Crete, and they're very independent minded, and they're very. Uh, they're very kind of rough and tumble and, uh, you know, macho men on Crete. Uh, and so this has been Crete's reputation basically for thousands of years, even to this day. Uh, we see this reflected actually even in uh, the book of Titus where uh, Paul says, <laughs> Paul quotes this uh this old uh, philosopher who says all Cretans, one of their own said all Cretans are liars. And then he goes on to say, this testimony is true, which just cracks me up that, uh, yes. that Paul is yeah. sitting there insulting, kind of insulting uh, his congregation and, and saying it's true. Um, so, but uh, so he's given a stretch assignment a, because uh, Cretans were and are uh, maybe, uh, the the problem child of the Greek world, and uh, so that's that's certainly challenging to begin with. Um, you know, I think that uh, certainly a level of of gruffness is in order there that might not have been in order in other places. I mean, we we see Paul saying things like rebuke them sharply. You know, that's something that they could he probably had to do and could get it away with on Crete. Maybe not something that you might do with the uh, more gentle and uh, and refined Corinthians. Um, so it's a stretch assignment for that reason, and it's also a stretch assignment because uh, there is some false doctrine that has crept into the church there in Crete. Uh, the Judaizers, you know, this uh, this movement, which was in essence trying to insist that that. Uh, 
that that Jewish law and customs continue to hold sway in the Christian church. Uh, this apparently uh, had taken root in Crete. And uh, as we know, for Paul, uh, fighting against these sorts of tendencies was uh, was was one of his main um, one of his main callings, especially as the uh, especially as the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, and so uh, he's encouraging Titus to remain faithful to his pastoral charge, even despite the difficulties that he has there, uh, to establish good order in church life, um, in doctrine, and in, in people's lives. And then finally, to resist the, the Judaizers who are seeking to deceive the Corinthians. It, it strikes me as you're talking about the Judaizing tendencies that would have been there on Crete. And we've talked about this of, of those, you know, adding to the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's that's the essential fault of Judaizing tendencies. You add something you have to do to the gospel. Mm-hmm. It strikes me as you you're describing Crete again, and we've talked about this. How Crete this this letter indicates that Titus needs to bring order. Mm-hmm. So Judaizing tendencies would have been a temptation, I think, for Titus, because you could have provided quite a bit of order by saying you Ah. have to do X, Y, and Z. This is is it. This is the way we bring order is by adding to what God has given. And and it, it just strikes me as a particular temptation in a place like Crete, where you're working in the environment that he's got to go too far, to go past, you know, the table of duties that Paul does give here in the book of Titus and go beyond it in an attempt to establish some kind of order, but really you go beyond what God has given and you, you fall off on the other side of, of the horse, so to speak. Yeah. I think that's a pretty perceptive idea that you have there and uh, that, that the order of uh, the Judaizers would have been uh, attractive to him, even though this would have, have gone beyond uh, really uh, the the order that is laid out in in the Decalogue and the the order that is indicated by Christian love, uh, but see this is the issue is that that kind of order uh, actually does devolve into uh, disorder, right? Because uh, and and we'll start to see this as we begin to pick apart uh, the passage for today. Um, you know, Judaism by no means, you know, Judaism itself was was by no means a unified. Uh, unified religious view. I mean, so um, in the time of Christ and in the time of the Second Temple, you had, uh, you know, already just three major divisions, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Essenes. And then within those various groups, you had even subgroups beyond that. I mean, with the the Pharisees, uh, with whom there was a they had an awful lot in common. There were all kinds of subdivisions uh, of viewpoints on on various fine points of of uh, their interpretation of the law and so on, and it was almost endless the the kinds of divisions that uh, would would come about uh, on account of uh, the 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 improper way uh, they were interpreting the law of Moses. And so I think that what you know Paul is looking at here is, yeah, you're looking to impose order on an unruly people. These uh, Judaizing sorts of ideas are attractive here. But if you allow these things to hold sway, or if you yourself are, are tempted to begin teaching these things, uh, really, it's going to cause dissolution um, and division that will have no end in, in the congregation. 
Yeah, and so Paul's going to pick that up here in our text for today, Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 15, the conclusion of this epistle. Paul writes, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. That's the text for today, the conclusion to the letter of Titus, Titus 3, verses 9 through 15. Pastor Jackson, the first thing Paul writes in this text, avoid foolish controversies. How is Titus to know what's a foolish controversy and what's a a wise controversy? Right. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Now, first of all, we should notice uh, that, you know, Paul isn't condemning controversy per se, right? Because, uh, you know, Paul himself is quite a bit of a controversialist, right? I mean, Paul was a guy who literally brought entire cities, to their knees with controversy. Uh, so as we as we uh, study this passage a little bit later on, we're going to see how uh, some of the people that he's going to be uh, discussing are are people that he um, hooked up with in his Ephesian ministry. And holy cow, uh, basically the entire city of Ephesus was brought to his knees, brought to his knees on account of Paul. So what's uh, What's a controversy which is wise to take up and what is foolish uh, to take up? That really is the question. And so I, I think the answer to this is really given us in the in the passage that comes before. It's, it's really a remarkable summary of the Christian faith that uh, that Paul gives um, in in chapter three, in the beginning of chapter three, I'm just going to read through this. It'll be a little bit longer, but uh, I think it's good for us to, to kind of um, see this for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, for the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So what's, what's a worthy, uh, what's a worthy controversy to, to get involved in essentially a controversy, which has to deal with uh, the message of salvation by grace through faith in Christ, right? Um, and, and 
so this is a controversy, and we see this actually. You know, Paul takes up that controversy uh, quite readily in his own ministry, as uh, time and time again, whether it's in the Romans, the book of Romans, or the book of Galatians, or uh, the book of Corinthians, and so on, where he discusses how salvation by grace through faith through the atoning work of Christ is is the true source of our salvation, not our works, not our own righteousness, but rather the works of Christ and the righteousness of Christ given to us in word and sacrament. And, And so if an issue doesn't touch on this core gospel message, uh, well, then truly it's a foolish issue to take up and to debate about. Now that's, that's a wide, that's a wide category, right? So, um, you know, certainly uh, the nature of the Trinity touches on this, right? Because unless, you know, Jesus is uh, the son of God and and equal with the father, uh, as well as the Holy spirit by whom faith is given, uh, well, then our, our salvation is null and void. Uh, you know, the nature of Christ, the Son of God and, and Son of Man, um, the nature of what is good and, and true, the, the nature, you know, there's all sorts of things. You know, even angels. People, people think that debating about angels is, um, is unwise. Uh, you know, the old, um, the old adage for you know people will throw around as sort of a a silly theological question to talk about is how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. Uh, personally, I think that's a good question, right? Because uh, <laughs> angel, because this gets to the nature of angels as spiritual beings. What does that mean? And you know how because you know, the Lord uses angels in order to uh, to strengthen us and to save us and to to help us to persevere unto salvation. Uh, but there's a whole manner of things uh, as well, which doesn't touch on this core gospel message. And those things need to be laid aside. Now, the one exception to this as well that he talks about is uh, those issues which which have to do with our um, life of love as Christians. So he goes on to say that, you know, um, really kind of an echo of Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and following, you know, uh, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. Uh, he goes on to say, in order that we might do the good works that were prepared for us from before the foundation of the world. Um, here he says, uh, he, he talks about this gospel message um, that he lays out and he says, you know, these are trustworthy and true sayings. Um, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Uh, so, you know, our, our response to that salvation in Christ is to love our neighbor as ourself and, and therefore to uh, fill up their need as we lead a life of love towards them, even as Christ has loved us. And so uh, understanding what that life of love looks like as we um, examine the law to to be that guide uh, under the third use of the law, that is a that, that's an appropriate those are appropriate controversies to take up uh, to take up as well. Uh, but gonna, a, let me just jump. Yeah. Let me jump in real quick, just because I, I want to echo that. This this sounds a lot like uh, what we talked about at the beginning of chapter two, where Paul starts that chapter. As for you, teach, and he says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. It, in other words, wh- what comes along with sound doctrine is a a lot of stuff, right? As you're saying, when when we say that 
a foolish controversy. You know, it doesn't deal with these matters that are central to our faith, saved by grace through faith in Christ. That is a very broad topic that we're talking about. This isn't some sort of minimalism intended to, you know, sneak false doctrine in or something like that. This is a very broad topic, which is up for. Uh, what's the right word? Up for uh, up for controversy, up to discuss and to look at and to say this is what we need to agree on as Christians, and it, it's it's very broad. So I just just to echo that because I think it's a it's an important point. Right. When when we talk about avoiding foolish controversies, we're not saying. Well, I mean, Paul says elsewhere in the pastoral epistles, "Fight the good fight of faith." That's that's how he concludes his last letter, Second Timothy. I have fought the good fight. So obviously it's a big part and we don't want to view it in this minimalistic way, but I, yes, but we should, but I mean, but we should avoid the foolish controversies. So go ahead, Pastor Jackson. No, I play think, off of that and take us into the, the foolish controversies. Yeah, that that's exactly right. So uh, essentially um, it's a, it's a broader category than just like sort of a, a minimal gospel message. Um, right. and, and these are necessary, you know, the, the question is, is, is this a matter which, um, is, uh, builds up the faith, uh, and builds up love. And if, if you have to answer no to either of those, then it becomes a, a foolish controversy. And then we get examples of some of what these might be, right? So, um, the first thing that he mentions is uh, genealogies. Okay. So uh, genealogies, you know, now genealogy is in one sense, uh, an extremely important part of the Christian faith, right? I mean, the, the multiple of the gospels begin with genealogies. We find genealogies in, in the Old Testament. And uh, uh, to understand, um, you know, God's working in the history of, of his people to uh, bring about the, the, the life of the Messiah in, in Jesus Christ, that's, that's critical to know and to understand and to treasure and value as we understand more fully how God has uh, has worked that salvation. Uh, on the other hand, if genealogies become uh, a basis for righteousness, uh, and it, it's a little bit unclear exactly what's going on there with genealogies, but I, I think that based upon Paul's wider writings, you know, a really good guess on that is that, um, you know, going along with these Judaizing tendencies, there was um, an effort to, to teach that one might have some sort of special status in God's kingdom if one could prove descent, you know, physically, for example, uh, through Abraham. Right. So um, whereas Paul's teaching, very clear teaching, is that salvation is not a matter of fleshly descent from Abraham. It actually never was a matter of uh, fleshly descent from Abraham. Um, Isaac, you know, Abraham had two had two sons. Abraham had uh, Isaac on the one hand and he had uh, as well Ishmael on the other. But Isaac was the chosen one because he was the son of promise, whereas the 
the the son who was gotten by merely fleshly means ishmael was not the heir but rather the son who was the son given by gift out of the power of god and his miraculous intervention that was the son who uh who was the recipient of the promise the, the son of the promise and so it has always been the case that it's by means of god's promise and it's by means of faith um, in god's promise that we are children of abraham always was and continues to be even now now that the the message of of salvation has come to the gentiles and so really the question of fleshly descent from abraham um becomes really a non-point, a non-issue for Christians. It doesn't render you uh, any any more um, any kind of special status in God's kingdom. Our status in God's kingdom is only by means of God's promise and and by faith. So, you know, there's like you know that's not um, an issue. Which well, actually, uh, it probably does have uh, in, in sort of a connected way. Uh, sort of a, a, a connection for us uh, today in, in certain strains of Christianity, but that would be sort of a, a foolish sort of controversy. Maybe a more common way of, uh, you know, a, an equivalent sort of thing to that would be, um, and, and stick with me here. I know this is a bit of a, maybe a bit of a stretch, but <laughs> you hear lots of people talk about, um, you know, certain kinds of Christians about how they want to go get baptized in the Jordan River, right? Um, so because they think that that would have some sort of special status or, or meaning because of that fleshly act. Right. And so, um, that is, that entirely misses the point that, um, that salvation is not a matter of our works and it's not a matter of, of what we do or our own, even necessarily our own sort of emotional experience or anything like this, but rather salvation is a matter of embracing the, the promises of God um, in Christ. And so that's one way in this investigation of uh, genealogies that um, this investigation of genealogies that, that Paul says, uh, you know, um, this is getting beside the point of, of the gospel message. Or maybe, maybe as well, Pastor Jackson, you tell me what you think of this in, in some churches that have a lot of history, there are often families that have a lot of history in that church and being able to connect yourself to one of those, say pillars of the church type families can become a matter of pride, a personal pride such that, the actual means of grace become neglected, sort of a an air of thinking, well, I'm part of this family, Pastor. Mm. How can you tell me that I need to repent? <laughs> or or how can you tell me, Pastor, that that I I'm not a member of this church because of my lack of attendance for several years. I'm a part of this family, this genealogy. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't know if that's the exact attitude that Paul is dealing with or Titus would have dealt with there in Crete. But, I think but that's perhaps a, another. Ex- well, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. No, I think that's a good. I think that's a probably better even than the sort of modern corollary I gave. I, yeah, it's not exactly probably what, what Paul's talking here, but it certainly is another place where, um, you know, an effort to secure standing in in God's kingdom by means of of fleshly descent, um, yeah, that's something that that certainly 
um, certainly happens, uh, uh, you know, in, in the modern day, um, probably a little bit, um, a little bit less than maybe we saw, I don't know, 20 years ago or something like that. Sure. Uh, but it is something that is, uh, that is, is still there. Yeah. This is, this is my family church, right? So, uh, you, you, you better do my wedding, uh, <laughs> for me, right. even though, you know, I don't really want you to talk about Jesus all that much or something like that. Right. Right. Not, not all that different from the way John the Baptist condemns the Pharisees saying, you know, you, you say you're children of Abraham. Well, God could raise up these stones to be children of Abraham. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that mm-hmm. trust in physical descent, that, that seems to be what's in view here with these, with these genealogies. It, it comes up again, it goes to that whole thing with the Judaizing tendencies, adding something to the gospel. And, and that's what Paul is telling Titus to avoid these kinds of controversies. We're going to pick up these other controversies on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, November 25th. We're looking at Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 15 with Pastor Christopher Jackson. He serves at St. John's Lutheran Church in Algoma, Wisconsin, and St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Forestville, Wisconsin. Pastor Jackson, prior to the break, we were talking about the foolish controversies that Paul tells Titus to avoid. First, looking at genealogies, those places where we might look to physical descent as a way to gain standing within the kingdom of God. What other things does Paul identify here as foolish controversies? So he also talks about dissensions. And again, that's um, that's maybe an intentionally broad category here. Like what... Uh, what exactly is a dissension? I think that the inability to sort of nail that down um, is is actually part of the point um, that really is just talking about arguments as arguments, you know, arguments for for the sake of of arguments. Um, you know that these are distractions to the the core of of Christianity, which is not just to be like the Athenians debating about matters uh, all day long and always trying to hear something new um, and having discourse for the sake of discourse, but but rather, uh, you know, our speech is to be uh, you know seasoned and salted and. Uh, always for the sake of, of the gospel. Um, then he goes on to quarrels about the law. So uh, again, this is probably one place where um, I think it's easy for us as Lutherans to read back into it, various distinctions that we hold that are true but are are maybe not exactly what he himself was was talking about uh, back when he was discussing this with, with Titus. So, you know, 
usually as Lutherans, when we hear the law, we we tend to think about the law in um, you know simply moral terms, and uh, you know Paul is ready to discuss you know, what the moral life of the Christian looks like. He does an awful lot of that actually in the book of uh, Titus as he describes what that, um, you know, what, what a life of love looks like for people in various, uh, various stations in life. Um, Really what I think he's getting to is the kind of quarreling over the law that would have been the the sort of quarreling that you would have seen in in Pharisaical Judaism, for example. Remember, he's he's really trying to warn Titus away and, and warn the Corinthians away from these Judaizing tendencies. And because for the well, for uh those who the Jews who misunderstood uh, the the true nature of the law, um, where where righteousness was had through the strict keeping of it, and so on, um, all of a sudden there became questions as to you know how to um, you know how to obey that law in its in the finest possible way. So take for example the command. Um, honor the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And then God goes on to say how on the Sabbath, the the Jews were to do no work and so on and so forth. Um, so, you know, the, the question then becomes if it, if you understand your righteousness as um, having to do with the, the obedience, the rigid obedience to that, all of a sudden the question becomes, well, what, what's considered work? Right. What's what's working on the Sabbath is um, putting a satchel over your shoulder and walking four blocks down the street to go visit your mother. Is that work or not is uh, okay? Well, maybe putting a satchel over your shoulder. That's too much of a burden to carry. Um, That's definitely work. So, you know, what if you just put something in your pocket or in your purse? Um, is that work? Well, it depends on how heavy it is. How big it is it, you know, um, is, is it, is it something bigger than a fig? If it is that work or something larger than, you know, a, a nut or something like this, these were literally the kinds of questions that there were reams and reams of you know, when these things be eventually get these oral traditions where they discuss these things began to get recorded literally thousands upon thousands of pages of of debate over just those kinds of issues and really in the christian life uh you know which gives us the proper understanding of of the law uh those kinds of questions um, become really uh, irrelevant, right? Because uh, you know the the command, for example, to honor the Sabbath day by keeping it holy has really uh, a couple purposes. You know, one that you might show love to others by by giving them rest, and also and especially so that we can devote time to receiving the word of God, because in order to receive the word of God, you have to lay aside uh, your work for a period of time in order to receive 
the word of God. And so, um, you know, quarrels about the law are not, you know, discussions about, um, you know, he's not saying that the law shouldn't factor in your, in your mind or it shouldn't, uh, be something that you, you refer to or discuss, uh, as you seek to understand what living a Christian life looks like. But, um, it's, it's really when he's warning away, um, Titus and the Corinthians from, or not the Corinthians, the Cretans from, um, discussions of, uh, from quarrels about the law. It's really on the basis of, you know, the, the role of the law in the Christian life as being this uh, thing which which shows us God's righteous expectations, shows us our our need for a savior and our failure to keep the law, and then finally as well gives us a glimpse into what a life of love looks like for the sake of others. So yeah, these quarrels about the law would fall underneath some of the Judaizing tending tendencies that we were talking about earlier that would be another example of that yeah where you get focused on how do i how do i earn my standing or keep my standing in god's kingdom rather than focusing on the grace that god gives you mm-hmm. in his son jesus christ so and, Paul, and, and, Paul, and, well, go ahead and go break ahead. in there and and notice that you know what and, and jesus we see this in jesus ministry what gets lost in uh those kinds of um those those kinds of quarrels about the law, uh, the the heart of the law as uh, as loving the neighbor gets lost, right? Where right. all of a sudden people are grumbling right. because Jesus is healing on the Sabbath, right? Um, yeah. And uh, so love really is is lost in those kinds of quarrels, right? The the law becomes a tool by which I make myself righteous for God rather than the gift that God gives so that I might serve my neighbor in love. And, and the exactly. neighbor gets lost. The love love for neighbor gets lost in those kinds of controversies. Paul moves from the controversies, these foolish controversies, to then those who would start them. And, and he speaks really strong language here, language that is, is pretty hard to read, but it's what he says. He, he says, for this person who stirs up division with these kinds of controversies, you warn him once and then twice and then have nothing to do with him. So uh, this is strong language, Pastor Jackson. Yeah. Have you ever seen that happen in a church? I don't know if I have. I mean, I'm still a baby pastor <laughs> or maybe I'm a, I'm a, a child. I'm, I've been a pastor for 10 years. So maybe okay. I've graduated from baby, pa- but, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I have. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. I've seen churches where it should happen. Uh, honestly, I was a, a circuit visitor for a while and, and, um, you know, this is, uh, these are, this was a hard word. I'm sure a hard word for Titus to receive and boy, it's a, it's a fit word for us today. I I've never actually seen uh, a situation where excommunication has, has actually happened in, in a church. Uh, but one of the circumstances that, that I know of, uh, there is literally a church, uh, that, that served in, um, and the entire east side of Kentucky, uh, you know, basically, if you, when you get into areas like Kentucky and and so on, where I used to serve, people will literally drive an hour and a half just to go to a LCMS congregation, which is really cool, but also means that these little churches that are out there um, that are dry, you know getting these people from these wide places just become critical. But uh, 
yeah, I've seen I've seen churches literally torn apart and are no longer there um, because of those who just sow division and are not in a mind of having peace and unity. And and peace and unity is um, just an utterly critical thing in Paul's mind for for churches. So we have a we have I think a a much um, wider discussion of this in uh, Ephesians chapter four. Uh, so there he goes and he talks about how um, God has appointed ministers like Titus. And um, he talks about how uh, really um, he gave the apostles. So this is chapter four, verse 11, Ephesians he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, um, so that we can stand and not be tossed around by waves of doctrine and so on. And um, all of that, we uh, we see that, um, you know, when we think about the work of the pastor, that's probably the first thing that comes to our mind, right, is the teaching of doctrine. Um, the preaching of the gospel so that people would believe as they ought to believe unto their salvation and uh, unto their endurance in, in the, in the Holy Christian church and in the faith. Uh, But then he goes on to say, rather speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And earlier in this uh, passage, he talked about, um, you know, earlier in that same chapter, he talks about how there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And so therefore also Christian congregations ought to reflect that, reflect that unity. Um, unity and doctrine, yes, Absolutely. Uh, no question about that. 100% unity in doctrine, but also unity in in terms of a, a loving, kind, forgiving, merciful, uh, peaceable disposition one with another. Um, I I get questions from time to time um, from people about you know. Um, so I'm, I'm moving to a new place and there are a few different churches there I'm looking at and without fail, I'll tell them, you know, look, look for a church, which, um, is, you know, really proud of our, of our doctrine and which, uh, adheres to it strongly and, and teaches the truth boldly and, you know, will, will boost your faith, uh, through its sound doctrine, but also make sure that place is a place of love. Uh, That is, that is if, if, if you have the truth, but um, have not love, right. You're a resounding gong and a banging cymbal. And uh, so it's, it's absolutely critical for, for churches to be places of that unity, places of that love. And, and sadly human nature being what it is, there are those whose, pet sin 
is the dissolution of that that loving bond that that Christians ought to have. And for that sake, just in the same way that um, if you have a have a, a member of the body which is infected um, to the point of no return, maybe you have gangrene and a hand or an arm or something. The last resort becomes that you you have to cut that member off, and it might hurt you to do so. It might be painful. Uh, you don't want to do it. But at the same time, it becomes necessary in order to preserve the rest of the body. Um, and so it is with churches that that if there are if there are members who are just um, sowing this division without any kind of repentance or any kind of improvement, it's better for the sake of the body, uh, for the sake of that church to to cut them off. Not that I've ever seen it happen, but it probably should happen more. Well, and and to to go beyond the the language of the body, well spoken when it comes to gangrene, but when it comes to the church, the the purpose of excommunication is for the sake of the body, but it is also for the sake of that person true, who is excommunicated. True. I mean, you get that in in First Corinthians five, where where Paul talks about that that member who needs to be excommunicated. But the the point is so that the body does not become further infected, but also for that one to to show him the seriousness of his sin. And and the same is true here, I think, for the the Cretan church as well. Earlier in Titus and in, in Titus chapter one, Paul, you know, as you I think mentioned earlier, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the mm-hmm. faith. The mm-hmm. the point of, of rebuking and and excommunication, if that's how far it goes, is for the sake of the one so that they would come back, so that they would repent. And because you know, when you when you when you have to amputate part of your body, it doesn't work that way. But in the Christian church, that's what the Lord is is busy doing. He's he's in the business of raising the dead. That's right. And and that's what that's what he desires to do when it comes to excommunication. Yeah. So so I, I think that uh perhaps, you know, an objection, I think what you're getting at is that an objection to um church discipline in this way is, you know, this isn't loving, right? It's not loving to that person yeah. to to cut them from the body. Um, but the, the, as, as Christians, we know that the greatest way of love is, is a love which, which leads through death. And so, yes, if even while, uh, cutting them off from the body may in a sense mean a a kind of death in a way, at the same time, we believe in a, in a, in a God who makes alive, uh, who, who kills and makes alive by means of law and gospel, and so, yes, it may become necessary to, uh, even though it pains us to do it, we don't want to do it, to to give this hard bit of law to them to say, you know, this we we cannot tolerate this in the congregation for our sake and also for your sake, but we do so for the hope that the Lord will make you alive and and restore you to us once again by means of of the gospel. And we see right. that in it's, Corinthians, it's, it's, right? So, I mean, yes, this this should have. I mean, this should tell us just how seriously Paul thinks about about the sowing of division. Because, I mean, in Corinthians, um, Corinthians chapter five, he talks about how this man um, who was sexually immoral in the Corinthian congregation. Um, so, this was a man who had taken his father's wife, now not his mother. Okay. So uh, his father's wife who had not been his own mother, but still immoral and wrong and, you know, against, uh, against the law of love and so on. And a a stumbling block to the congregation 
you know, um, he says basically do the same thing to to one who sows division as what you know. He also recommends to the Corinthians, the sexually immoral man, cut them off from the body. But we see in uh, in the second letter to the Corinthians that when this man had. Um, come to a point of repentance and sorrow for his sins. Uh, basically, Paul says, receive him as a brother, right? Give him that grace and mercy um, and, and receive him and restore him once again to the church. And that that truly is as well. Just I'm glad you brought that up. Part of the the goal of, of, of Christian discipline within the congregation. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, and, and mm. that's the one. And we want him to repent so that there can be that joy. And, and I mean, I think that's that's Paul's goal. Titus, Corinthians, and, and everywhere this, this comes up in the scriptures is always to restore the lost sheep so that there can be that great joy. True. Paul, Paul brings this letter to a conclusion in the way that he often does. You get these greetings from him to others and then the, the opposite, more greetings from his companions to, say, the recipient. There's not a lot of, of that with just sort of a, a broad mention there, but we do get some names that, that Titus gets some instructions for. So there's Paul's going to send Artemis or Tychicus, either one of them, to Titus so that Titus can come visit in Nicopolis. There is Zenus the lawyer and Apollos who are, are supposed to be sped along their way. What do we know about any of these these men? We've got about eight minutes left yeah. just to, to give you a fair warning. Uh, yes, yeah, sure. Some of them we know quite a bit about from the Bible. Um, some of them we know not from the Bible, but from um, other traditions in the church. Um, in the Bible, we don't hear much about uh, Artemis. He's he's probably an Asian, which means he would have come from what we now call Turkey. Um, but um, he's not really discussed uh, as much in the, in the Bible. Tychicus, however, is uh, mentioned several times. He's mentioned as... Um, coming from uh F, you know he was he was present in Paul's Ephesian ministry so Ephesus was in um Asia what once again what we now would call Turkey um modern day Turkey um he was an emissary uh to the Ephesians so uh usually the way that uh Paul would deliver his uh message is that he would um, send it under the care of an emissary. And when an emissary would go uh, for the sake of someone else, that person kind of really became that person's personal representative uh, to that, to that, whoever was receiving that letter. And they were given the letter to read. And they were also given enough authority to kind of as well render interpretation and so on where they're to be questioned. So we see that he's the serves as an emissary to the Ephesians. He also serves as an emissary uh, to the Colossians and delivers that letter there. And um, here we see that, uh, that it is um, uh, that perhaps Paul will send uh, Tychicus to or Artemis uh, to kind of be relief for Titus so that Titus can spend some time with Paul. Um, and then Tychicus would be sort of his relief uh, to, to represent Paul there in uh, there in Crete. Uh, Zenus, the lawyer, uh, we don't know um, as much about him either. Um, so Zenus literally means gift of Zeus. So kind of an interesting little fact, uh, though, uh, about him. Apollos is is one of Paul's uh, closest 
uh, companions and really fascinating history about Apollos. Once again, he comes into Paul's orbit in Ephesus. So Apollos is this um, kind of this wunderkind kind of a kind of a guy. He was uh, a, a disciple under the the movement, the John the Baptist movement. And so, you know, under this, he had some understanding of who Jesus of Nazareth was. And, and already, even before encountering Paul and, uh, and others in his orbit is already, you know, preaching about Jesus in Ephesus and, and to a great deal of, uh, approval because he is so good with words and so on. Um, and, uh, so then he comes into Paul's orbit and receives even further instruction and understanding along with others in the Ephesian area about who Jesus is um, and, and what he had done for the world and, and for them. And so uh, he sort of has this uh, expanded uh, understanding of the Christian faith through Paul. And, um, you know, because Paul had... Uh, you know, wisely uh, associated himself with someone who was so well spoken. Uh, he kind of he kind of fills in where Paul's weak, right? So um, we see in Corinth, uh, in the Corinthian correspondence, that you know some people are kind of um, lining themselves up in in various kinds of genealogies, almost like. You know, I belong to Paul. I belong to Cephas. Uh, I belong to Apollo. So, I mean, that's how well Apollos is considered that he's elevated to this kind of level as uh, as Cephas and and Paul and so on. And uh, the the image of we that we get of Apollos uh, and the reason why he would be sort of a good companion to Paul. You know, Paul is this great writer. Uh, he's an amazing writer, but in person, he's really less than an impressive speaker. Uh, Apollos is kind of the opposite, right? So, and we see while the the Corinthians weren't very impressed with Paul's speech, we can you can see why they would in turn find Apollos impressive because of his his good speech. Uh, but in any case, um, you know, Apollos is uh, is one of Paul's closest companions, uh, very valuable to him. And so even while um, he probably served as uh, the um, him and Zenus probably he and Zenus probably served as the emissaries to deliver this letter uh, that Titus received from Paul. Um, still after that, because he was so valuable, Paul, I says, you know, speed, speed him along as fast as you can, because in all likelihood, I've got more work for this guy to do. Hmm. With about three minutes, then there's there's another piece that we, we should pick up before we close. Verse 14, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Again, with about three minutes, take us into that verse briefly, wrap things up for us on this section and Titus and the pastoral epistles as a whole. Yeah, great. So um, we see that, uh, yeah, St. Paul ends with this bidding um, to to teach the people to learn, to devote themselves to good works. And um, so, you know, first of all, we see that the good works are a thing in which we cooperate with God, right? So as Lutherans, we like to say that good works are spontaneous, and that's true, and that's part of our confession. But really what that means is that uh, the gospel um, causes, it, the gospel motivates our good works. That's really what that means. We're, we're moved to good, good works not in order to earn salvation, but rather because of the salvation that has been good given to us. But at the same time, um, 
understanding what that what those good works look like certainly does take uh, deliberation. And that's the proper use of the law, right? Not to debate about it um, in order to gain righteousness, but rather to explore it in order to know what a life of love looks like. And then um, this is, uh, got to give all credit to you to, for mentioning this, helping me to look good here <laughs> uh, before the, the show. But uh, you mentioned how, um, you know, really he ends with uh, an exhortation to good works. Uh, that's something of a hot topic for us Lutherans. Some Lutherans don't quite like that sort of thing when, when pastors do that in their sermons. But here we find Paul essentially doing this in a little uh, sermon in epistle form. Um, and uh, I think it's a real testimony to uh, a proper understanding of, of law and gospel and preaching that uh, the gospel, to use the words of Walther, can still and absolutely does predominate, even if it doesn't necessarily have the very last word. Pastor Chris Jackson is the pastor at St. John's Lutheran Church in Algoma, Wisconsin, and St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Forestville, Wisconsin, helping us this morning with Titus 3, verses 9 through 15. Pastor Jackson, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks for having me on, Pastor Apple. Paul writes to Titus so that he would encourage the people in good works to bring order there to the church in Crete. And that order comes through the Savior, Jesus Christ, who has died and risen for the salvation of sinners. That is the center of all that Paul says, and that is what motivates us to the good works that he gives us in the law. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. The next two days over this Thanksgiving break will be Encore Presentations. We're going to be starting a new series here on Sharper Iron in the season of Advent, going through the Old Testament readings appointed for the season of Advent. I look forward to talking to you then. <laughs>